Good evening. Welcome to Forest Heights Baptist Church tonight. Let's all stand and sing, Great is Thy Faithfulness.
Father, thank you that we can come together and worship you. Lord, you are holy and we are sinful creatures saved by grace. And Lord, that's the only reason that we can come before you and lift you up and praise you and, and uh, worship you uh, only because of the clothing that we wear and that's the righteousness of Christ. So uh, we come before your presence, humbly bowing at this time, thanking you for another opportunity to worship you. And may we truly do that with all of our hearts and with all of our souls. And this cannot be done without your help. And so may your grace uh, and its sufficiency move us through this time of worship for it to be all that it needs to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Before we move on to our next song, uh, we do have, um, we've been learning a new worship song, His Mercy is More. Um, if you need a copy of it, we have some in the back, um, and we can, we can give that to you. But if you will, let's stand and sing, Have Faith in God.
Okay, before we move forward in Daniel, I want us to finish up with this part of the dream that I didn't get to last week or didn't get to spend that much time with last week. So I want you to turn to Daniel chapter 4 once again, and we'll be closing out this chapter tonight. The dream that the king had. You know, um, last week we talked more about because of the king uh, and his pride, prideful spirit, that this was brought upon him because of this and him refusing to humble himself before God. But God gave him chance after chance, and we also spoke about God's grace. Well, we'll speak a little bit about that also tonight, but I want to, I don't want us to miss something that's very important, and it will be in this reference also in Romans that I'm going to be referring to. We don't want to miss what God's saying because everything that God does is significant. And we're going to be talking about the, uh, uh, the condition that uh, the king was placed in through, uh, because of his pridefulness. And, and uh, we'll be looking at it and how we can relate to uh, how mankind is and uh, the, the situation of uh, uh, our degrading spirits and and how we, uh, ref if we refuse to acknowledge to God the, you know, the direction that we go in. So I want you to look in chapter 4. As I said, uh, beginning uh, in chapter 4, I'll read these first uh, three verses. And then we'll have prayer. It says, Nebuchadnezzar the king to all the peoples, nations, and men of every language that live in all the earth. May your peace abound. 
It has seemed good to me to declare the signs and wonders which the Most High God has done for me. How great are his signs and how mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion is from generation to generation. Now this sounds like, okay, he got converted, he saw the light in chapter 3. Uh, when the three uh, Hebrew children with the fourth one in there came out. That's, that's not the case, as I told you last week. This is him retelling the vision. And him retelling the vision, this is kind of like what you'd, I guess you'd say a preamble or whatever of uh, what he felt after all of this had come about. So uh, in this chapter, he goes on and he tells the vision that he had. And then he summons the, uh, the men in, the magicians and uh, soothsayers and others to come in and uh, interpret the dream. Now, you know, uh, the first, we, we've got to go back just for a minute. You, you've got to remember God's grace has been being extended to this man because uh, in the, his first dream, he called in uh, his soothsayers and magicians and all the others, and they couldn't interpret the dream, nor could they tell him the dream, but Daniel could, and he saw that Daniel's God was an awesome God, but he was just one God among many, and and to, uh, to him, gods were just a dime a dozen, really. And so he just put him over the rest of his gods, Nebuchadnezzar would. Uh, so, you know, he, he had not changed. Uh, I mean, he, uh, he was impressed with Daniel and what he had done. Daniel gave credit to God, his God. And so um, uh, the, the first dream uh, was a great statue. And you know that uh, Nebuchadnezzar at Babylon represented the gold head, golden head. And so... Uh, he, you know, his power, his awesomeness and all this, but other, the other material that the dream was made up of, uh, it, they represented also other nations that came in and succeeded him, overtook him and, and one right after another being overtaken. So, um, uh, you know, he, he would be uh, uh, overtaken and the, the kingdom would be dis, uh, destroyed as, in a sense of no longer being the number one king. I'm a kingdom. Uh, but then after that, I guess some time had gone by, and so he decided that, you know, hey, maybe uh, God's, uh, uh, you know, made a mistake, uh, Daniel's God. Maybe that was his thought, whatever reason. He built a, a big, tall statue, but he, he made the whole statue go, representing Babylon and him, and, and uh, it was to be worshipped. And, of course, the uh, three Hebrew children, or, or young men, not children now, but young men, they refused to... Uh, to bow, uh, they would not worship the image, nor they would they bend and compromise in any way. As he brought them in, gave them another chance, and they wouldn't burn, for God protected them in the fiery furnace. Matter of fact, uh, many believe that it was pre-incarnate Christ that was in the furnace at that time with him. So uh, here we are, and uh, then we see with uh, you know with them not burning, he he calls for them to be brought out and. And he's amazed, but he has not changed yet. And uh, this is chapter 4. This is the preamble uh, telling after. He's telling Daniel this story. Daniel's writing it down under the inspiration of God what to put in uh, the, the word of God, what, uh, what we're to have. And so here we are with this other vision. He has another vision. He has another dream. And he calls the man in once again. To interpret it but this time he tells the dream to them and they cannot do it and then he calls Daniel in and this is where we're going to go back to and then quickly go through it uh, to the point where we want to focus in on the last part of the dream 
So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I just want to thank you for your wonderful loving grace. And God, please anoint us in a very special way with your presence, with your grace, and Lord, with the working of your spirit through your word. We just want you to be glorified. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, and, and so we, uh, we, we come to all this and, and we now see the troubled king coming in. And he, as I said, he summons the soothsayers, the priests, the sorcerers, Chaldeans, the diviners came in. And I related the dream to them. This time he told them the dream. He didn't tell them to tell him the dream, but he told them the dream. But they could not make its interpretation known to me. So uh, we, we don't know why he summoned in those men. As we talked about last week, it could have been because uh, he was giving them a second chance, trying to give themselves a time and a chance to redeem themselves. Or it could have been that uh, Daniel was in uh, carrying out the, the king's business in, in some other part of the kingdom, and, and he was uh, not anywhere around to be called, and so he just called in the, uh, these men again, uh, second best. Or maybe he was just wanting to uh, call them in and uh, get a pleasing report, hopefully, from them, because he knew Dan Daniel would reveal the, the dream, and so he didn't want to really know what the dream meant. So uh, he said, the tree grew large and became strong, and its height reached to the sky, and it was uh, visible to the end of the earth. And we know uh, a Bible uh, mentions trees uh, relating or uh, symbolic of uh, describing kingdoms, uh, like uh, Ezekiel said, behold, Assyria was a cedar in Lebanon, uh, with beautiful branches and far shade and of towering heights, its top among the clouds. And, and this is numerously uh, related in these terms about different uh, kingdoms uh, describing them as trees. And, and he goes on, he talks about the foliage and the animals of the field, finding shade under it. And, and um, he said, I was looking in the visions and my mind as I lay on my bed and behold an angelic watcher, a holy one, somebody special, a holy one. Uh, came descended from heaven and the angel's message uh, is very clear it says chop down uh, he shouted out and spoke as follows chop down the tree cut off the branches shake off its foliage shatter its fruit let the animals flee from under it and the birds from its branches and the tree was chopped down in other words impending judgment that's what the angel brought and we know that the angel it's just a messenger or ambassador of God bringing about God's will. And this is the case here. He didn't understand all of this. He just knew it was a holy one. And the angels, uh, they only reveal what God desires for them to, uh, to reveal. And then uh, God is the one who is sovereign. And so uh, the dream had a deep purpose, though, that God sovereignly rules over men and superintends their earthly reign, and he wanted uh, people to understand this, especially he was giving Nebuchadnezzar a chance to understand this. That Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom had not been built because of him or any great armies or any great uh, uh, intelligence that he might have had and, and uh, uh, war-like uh, characteristics that he might have, uh, um, you know, been able to uh, develop. Uh, the king needed to understand that it was from God, that, you know, God was in charge. Uh, and he needed to understand this before being damned, uh, uh, you know, in his life. Like Mussolini, who uh, asserted 
that he worshiped no God save his own sovereign will. And so many people believe that, that are unbelievers. You know, they believe that they've done it all, that it's all because of them. And pride arises and swells up in a person's life. And so um, we see that uh, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. And uh, the reason being is because we need to understand and recognize that there is a sovereign God, one who is in charge over us. And uh, he said, this is a dream that I, King Nebuchadnezzar, had seen. Now you, Belshazzar, which is Daniel, the name that he had given Daniel, tell me its interpretation, since none none of the wise men of my kingdom is able to make known to me the interpretation. But you are able... He said, I know you're able because a spirit of the holy gods is in you. I've seen this. You've done it before. You did it when I didn't even tell the dream. You know, that's what he's thinking. And so Daniel interprets the dream. But look at the way Daniel looks at it. I mean, you know, Daniel respected the king. Daniel respects those in authority over him, doesn't he? I mean, he's a godly man, even though he knew that this was not, he was not a, a a God, you know, a godly person. And he didn't believe in Yahweh. He saw a special a grace about Daniel but he didn't understand it and and so he but you know he had treated Daniel evidently uh, pretty pretty good and and Daniel had a good relationship with him and he had respect for him in in many ways and so Daniel whose name is Belshazzar was appalled for a while as his thoughts alarmed him I mean he knew the dream he knew what it said and so the king saw his countenance, and so he responded and said, Belshazzar, do not let the dream or its interpretation alarm you. Man, you know, I, I'm sitting down now. You go ahead and tell me, you know. <laughs> and so uh, uh, Belshazzar replied, my lord, you know, I, I want you to know, if only the dream applied to those who hate you, I'd rather it do that, or, uh, and its interpretation to your adversaries. But you want to know the truth. This is it. And so the tree that you saw, which became large and grew strong, whose height reached to the sky and was visible to all the earth and whose foliage was beautiful and its fruit abundant in which was food for all under which the animals of the field lived and whose branches the birds of the sky settled, it is you, O king. That part's pretty good. For you have become a great and... And, uh, or you have become great and grown strong and your majesty has become great and reached to the sky and your dominion to the end of the earth. So he first lets him know, you're the, you're the strong cr- uh, tree. But it's depicting the king who had become great and strong, but something happened to him. And in that the king saw an angelic watcher, a holy one, descending from heaven and saying, chop down the tree and destroy it, yet leave the stump with its roots. This is the grace of God. He's not going to destroy you completely. But with a band of iron and bronze, he's going to protect you and give you another chance, really, is what he's telling him. Uh, and then he said... Uh, Uh, This is the interpretation, O king, and this is the decree of the Most High which has come upon my Lord, the king, that you may, and here it is that we want to focus in on a little bit tonight, that you may be driven away from mankind, your dwelling place be with the animals, and look at this, the animals of the field. Now, of course, 
the grace of God is mentioned again in there, isn't it? Because later on he says, and you be given grass to eat like cattle, you'll, you know, you, uh, and drenched with the drew of heaven. I mean, there'll be provision there. And, and seven periods, seven years, you will go through this until you recognize. If you will recognize then the Most High is ruler over the, the realm of mankind and bestows it on whomever he wishes, then when you repent, he's saying basically, then you will be okay. But then he even goes on, doesn't he? And, and uh, he gives Nebuchadnezzar another chance. He, he, he tells him, he says, uh, Oh, king, if you'll just repent, though, you won't have to go through this. But the king didn't. He had to learn the hard way. That God, it is God who executes judgment, putting down one and lifting up another, as Psalm uh, 75 says. Therefore, O king, may my advice be pleasing to you. Wipe away your sin by doing righteousness and your wrongdoings, by showing mercy to the poor in case uh, there may be prolonging of your prosperity. In other words, get your heart right. You've been mistreating others. You think you're proud. You're, you know, it's all about you. Th start thinking about others. Let God work in your heart. Let God change you. Daniel cared enough to share that part with him. And tell him, hey, that, you know, there is a chance, if you'll just repent, that you won't have to go through any of this. And then, not only that, but God cares for you. And God did. What did he do? He allowed him another year, didn't he? Before all of this came about. And then the dream is realized in verse 28 through 33. It says, all this happened to Nebuchadnezzar the king. Twelve months later, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. This is a beautiful picture of God's grace and patience. One year later, God gave Nebuchadnezzar 12 months, one year, to respond to his gracious appeal through Daniel, by way of Daniel. This reminds us of Peter, doesn't it, and salvation. You remember in 2 Peter it says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. What a gracious God. Man sends himself to hell, doesn't he? It's not God. God reaches out and, and he is very long-suffering and very gracious. Unfortunately, the king's pride continued to control him. And God desired repentance, not suffering. And he gave him as much time as he could and then he knew that he must deal with them in another way and God desired repentance but the king desired suffering it seems like Nebuchadnezzar would not bend the king began speaking and was saying look at this in verse 30 is this not Babylon the great which I myself have built as a royal residence by the might of my power and for the honor of my majesty he saw the glory of Babylon, and he saw it what? As a reflection of his own glory, not God's glory. He has not gotten it yet. You know, in 1 Corinthians 4, Paul said in, in verse 7, What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why did you boast as if you did not receive it? While the word was still in the king's mouth, we see in verse 31, 
a voice came from heaven saying, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is declared, sovereignty has been removed from you and you will be driven away from mankind and your dwelling will be with the animals of the field. Here again, the animals of the field, the beast. You will be, you will be given grass to eat like cattle and seven periods of time will pass over you until you recognize that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whomever he wishes. It was time now for the Lord to pull the plug. Now was the time, it seems, for Nebuchadnezzar to go through the painful boot camp, if you will, of discipline and chastisement. Because why? Because of his unwillingness to submit to the graciousness of God and learn what God had for him. So immediately, the word concerning Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled, and he was driven away from mankind and began eating grass like cattle, and his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair had grown like eagles' feathers and his nails like birds' claws. Now the punishment, as I said earlier, is so important here, so significant. God was saying by that punishment that this is result of men when men give glory to themselves instead of God. They become what? Beast-like. In fact, they become even worse than beasts, don't they? Because in acting like an animal, which is not their nature, they become worse than an animal that has that nature. So let's look at what happens then when men and women take the glory of God to themselves. I referred to this in a sermon not too long ago on, in, uh, on Sunday morning, just reading it and going through it very quickly. But I want you to turn back to Romans chapter 1 at this time. It's so very important. And you relate it to this day and time. You do the application yourself. God says he gives men up in Romans chapter 1. Why? When God gives them up, first of all, he does not give them up to nothing. You need to understand that. When God gives them up, he does not give them up to nothing. He gives them up to the working out of the moral laws of the universe that he's established for themselves. What it boils down to is, if you will not have God, and therefore will not have truth, nor holiness, nor justice, nor righteousness, and all the other gifts that have come from God, the way God intends for it to be, then you will have the opposite. This is so very clear. It's revealed throughout Romans chapter 1. When men turned from God, and what did they do? They turned to themselves. Instead of the creator, they turned to the creature. And they went downhill. Look in verse 24. In chapter 1, verse 24. When they turned from God, he gave them up to what? Uncleanness. That's the first thing. Second thing. He gives them up in verse 26 to vile affections. 
That means he gave them up to sexual perversions. And then three, God gave them up to a retrobate, reprobate mind in verse 28. Now, I want you to look at that. What did he first do? He gave them up to uncleanness. Second of all, sexual perversions. And then third, to a reprobate mind. Now, don't you think that should have been reversed? Did Paul make a mistake? You'd say, well, they had a reprobate mind, so that's why they committed this. No, let's look at it very closely. Instead of reversing the order, let's look at the order that he gave and the reason. <coughs> the reason is, this is the way depravity progresses. First, there's uncleanness. What is it? Accepting fornication and adultery and such as this as just a way of life. Accepting it and going on with it and doing it. Nothing, you know, it doesn't bother you anymore. And then second of all, sexual perversions. That deals with prostitution and homosexuality and things like this. They're okay. We're involved in that. And then the third thing comes a reprobate mind. This is where men and women who should be ashamed, this is what Paul is telling us, who should be ashamed of the things that they're doing, instead, not only are they doing these things and will continue to do these things, but they'll consider that these things are right and demand that you recognize them as right. That's reprobate mind. You've heard of the council culture. They cancel out everything else other than what they want. This is part of it. Now, I want you to relate this in your mind to today. Is this relevant today? Is this happening today? Is this happening in our culture today? You know, I read some polls, and you can't always believe in polls, but I'll share these numbers. I thought they were interesting. You know, Barna Group and others do these. In 2007, they said 49% of the population accepted homosexuality. <clears throat> as a way of life. 2016, they reported that percentage had risen to 55%. Now they're telling us, whether it's true or not, 72% of our population accept it as a way of life. You would think so, the way things are going. <laughs> and it could very well be. Whether these stats are correct or not, we know that more in America and around the world are accepting this as normal, a normal way of life. But what about our churches? This was even more interesting to me. Southern Baptists, for the most part, still calls homosexuality activity sinful and doesn't receive. Now, this is not every Southern Baptist church. We're autonomous. But 
It do, and other d Baptist denominations, a lot of them are a lot more liberal than, than we are even. So uh, some of them even accept it uh, for the most part. But uh, we don't accept any actively living in the kind of lifestyle uh, that they claim to be living in as active members or could be active members. They accept them as a person. They love them and pray for them and their sinful lifestyle, but will not accept the lifestyle as biblical. So we thank God that most of Southern Baptist churches, you know, are in, in the right line there. Now, what, why am I saying, how, how can I be so brass as to say in the right line? Well, the right line with God and His Word. That's what I'm saying. I mean, it's, it's clear as anyone could read it and understand that. Now, we can rationalize and we can say, well, things have changed and all that kind of stuff. The Word of God has not changed. God has not changed. So if He hasn't changed and His Word hasn't changed, then it's still sinful. And let's look at the Catholic Church, the Pope. He got into trouble just recently with a comment, and I want to be fair about this. So I, he was asked about homosexuality. He said, quote, homosexuals have a right to be a part of the family. Pope said in the film that he made, they're children of God and have a right to be in the family. Now what does that sound like? Sounds like he's saying, they're children of God, and so they should be part of the church. Now, this is not what the Vatican said. They said, no, 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 wait a minute. And he said, um, what we have to create is a civil union, he added. That way they are legally covered. I stand for that, or I stood for that. The Vatican came out when there's a lot of people, just Catholics, just, uh, you know, saying, oh, I can't believe this and all this kind of stuff. And then Hollywood and everybody else went with it and, and the liberals and said, oh, look there, the Catholics, you know, they're, uh, they're all for this. The Pope says so. Well, they said that the statement did not mean the Pope accepted homosexuality as a way of life. They said he was referring to provisions made by the states and not the doctrine of the church. So I'm just going to leave it there. Methodists, another denomination, they're buried in their beliefs about homosexuality. The Methodist USA does not condone homosexuality and finds it incompatible with Christian teaching. However, they are urged not to reject or condemn lesbian and gay people and to accept them as members. Hmm. It kind of contradicts there. But anyway, I'll leave it to them. Presbyterians, USA, also vary in their stance on homosexuality. They're very supportive of gay and lesbian and bisexual people, even though official church doctrine still holds that homosexuals or homosexual sin is sinful and against God's will and bans gay and lesbians from the clergy. Now, more liberal Christian denominations have already 
largely accepted homosexuality as simply another normal, natural, and morally neutral sexual orientation. God made it that way, they're saying. What is the significance of this that I'm talking about? Well, it talks about, going back to Romans, how we participate, how we accept, and how they demand for us to accept. You see, the significance of the movement in our day and time, for one thing, they want to be accepted not as a sinner. I want to tell you, I'm not just mentioning homosexuality. There's, that's not the worst sin in the world. It's just the one that's being promoted, one of the ones that's being promoted the most today. I mean, adultery, if a person's living in adultery, and I'll talk about that in just a moment, they're living in sin. If a person's committing fornication outside marriage, they're living in sin. If a person's stealing and it's habitual, they're living in sin. If they stole that one time, it's a sin. If they're lying, cheating, whatever it is, all of it. But you see, the significance of the movement in our day is they want to be accepted not as a sinner. And if we change our direction, if we pull up anchor, if we, never, if we no longer have absolutes, then we're going to drift and we're going to accept all of this. Whatever's popular for the day. They are also trying to not only be accepted as members, but also as ministers to the Christian ministry. Matter of fact, they're demanding it in many denominations. Now, is it a question of minority rights? No, it's not. But that's the way they're approaching it, to get it accepted. It is, you know, the gay community coming to the church as the only recognized moral authority. They think that we're the moral authority, especially certain denominations like Catholic or whatever. And, you know, we're the moral authority in the land, which we're not. God is, isn't he? And so, uh, and so they, they want us to declare before the people of the world that what they're doing is right. Get our stamp of a approval on it it is a what paul says in chapter one of romans the expression of the reprobate mind
but by the grace of God, he listened, he was humbled, and he received Christ as a Savior. There's a lot of them out there. Just like we were. May we pray that God may humble them, may show them that he is the only one where glory is due, that they're sinners, but he offers the salvation for them. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for your wonderful love and grace. God, thank you that you, whether it's a homosexual, whether it's an adulteress, whether it's a liar, whether it's a cheat, whether it's whatever it might be, that's lost and without Christ, your grace is sufficient enough to reach to their hearts and free them in Jesus. And God, this is our prayer. And may we be the Christians that reflect that glory to other people, that grace may we share with other people so that they may receive it just like we have. For without it, we're depraved. And Lord, we have the same direction. Without Christ, anyone has that direction of heading to the point of having that reprobate mind, acting as animals. May there be repentance and salvation. God, that's what we pray. May we offer it to them by way of Christ and his grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand. God deals with your heart, maybe. You might need to come during the invitation. I must needs go home by the way of the cross. There's no other way but this. I shall never get sight of the gates of light if the cross leads home. Any announcements to be made? Don't forget Thanksgiving dinner. Okay. Anybody else? Business meeting this Wednesday. Anything else? Nothing else? Okay. Let's go away. Jesus is the sweetest name I know and he's just the same as his lovely name and that's the reason why i love him so oh jesus is the sweetest name i know